Hope you're ready for some good news. We've got some. It's, a, it's an exciting day today. We get to finish up a our series in Hebrews, and it, it uh, ends with some incredible, encouraging, powerful message for us. And I'm excited to get to it. Before I do, though, what I'd like to do is open up your bulletin, and inside there is a green-colored connection card. And if you would take that out right now, everybody, and add, uh, be putting your name on there, let us know you're here. Um, that helps us out a whole bunch, and this is our first service, so uh, that's helpful. And then we'll, later on in the service, we'll come back to it. If you're our guest here this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us. Uh, just fill out whatever you feel comfortable filling out, and then later on in the service, you can drop this in the offering basket along with everyone else's some good stuff. And if you uh, wouldn't mind, though, if you're our guest, let us know how you heard about us. And you can do that by the bottom. It says, uh, how did you hear about CCEP? That's us. Um, just write that down, and that's such helpful information for us. And if you do that... Uh, we do have a gift for you because everybody likes presents. Uh, and so that's this Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. It's a phenomenal book. So make sure you pick up a copy of that if you're our guest uh, by the entry to so go out. Or if you don't like reading, which some people like, I can understand that. Uh, we have a DVD for you as well. That's Don Noah. It's pretty, pretty entertaining. So good stuff. Um, and so um, also, whilst you're in there, you'll notice there's a lot of other really cool things. One of them here is this Easter service card. It looks like a little business card, and that is a, uh, an invitation to our Easter services um, that are going to be on Easter, obviously, and we're going to be launching a new series on Easter called Victorious Living, where we're going to be going into the book of Acts and looking at a couple different people in the book of Acts and seeing the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life, what the difference that the gospel actually makes, and it's, it's phenomenal. Some of the biggest fears and, and uh, uh, things that hit us in our life, Jesus and the Holy Spirit overcome. And we'll talk about that victorious life in Christ. Obviously, in Easter, we'll be talking about Jesus uh, coming back, which is great. So what you would like to do is be praying, this card, take it home, be praying about if there is a friend, a relative, a neighbor, a co-worker that doesn't have a church family. Be praying about them as you see this card and be asking God to give you the opportunity to invite them to join you on Easter where they can hear the, the life-transforming message of the gospel. And so that's this card. You want to take that out and just be praying for that person, even now, and wait for God. He'll give you the opportunity and make sure you have it with you so you can invite them to come and join you, um, which will be great. So it's got all the information. You hand this to them and I'll let, you, let them know exactly when the service is. Great stuff like that. Really fun. Also in there, you're going to notice there is that yellow announcement sheet, and it has got lots of things on there because a lot of fun stuff's happening. This is a busy time for us. So... Make sure you read that. I've got the, the missions trip, all those kind of thing on there. One thing that's on there that you um, is timely is this coming Friday. We are going to have Jews for Jesus is coming up here, and they're going to be doing a Christ in the Passover service, where they're going to be uh, doing a Passover meal, Seder meal, which we won't be taking the whole meal, but it'll be going through and showing all of the elements, like a Seder meal, and explaining how Christ uh, is in the Passover. It's phenomenal. It's free. And if you are thinking of coming, you don't have to pre-register, but if you would just let us know in the office, and you can invite friends or whatever, but that way we'll make sure that we have enough of the, the elements for you to partake in whilst you're here. That would be great. We'll set up enough chairs. So really great stuff. All the other stuff, make sure you read in that yellow sheet. Good things. Now, there is one other really wonderful announcement that I have, and I just have to show you a, p- a picture of it because it is so great. And... That's Anna. Anna Rowetter was baptized this week into Christ. So, isn't that fantastic? The Lord continues to 
to bring children to him. So when you see Anna, make sure you congratulate her on, on that. She had a birthday this week. And we had blue cake afterwards, so it was great. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. All right, well, let's get into the message. Um, oh, wait, before we do, we've got to get to our memory verse. This is our last one in the book of Hebrews for right now. This is a powerful one. It says this, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. That is a deep verse. Powerful. So let's get to it. This whole series, Jesus More Than Answer, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we get to bring it to a close today by you know, covering the last three chapters, so no small thing. But up to this point, what we've seen is the author of Hebrews talks to a church, uh, uh, Jewish Christians, who were on the verge of giving up their faith and going back to the law. And the reason they were doing that is because they were under enormous persecution. And, and at that time, the temple was still there. The priests were still there. I mean, God's ways, I mean, it was written in the Old Testament. They could go back to that way of relating to God. And the author of Hebrews writes to them in the midst of their pain and their persecution and gives them more than an answer to their problem. He gives them more than just a reason not to walk away from Jesus. And he does that by spending all this time talking about how Jesus is superior in every possible way. Jesus is God's best and last message. Right? He said in the, in the past, God spoke many times and in, and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son how powerful that was. There was a message that God was spending Jesus that was better than anything that came before and it is the last and final word and it's a good word. And then he talks about how Jesus is better than everything in heaven including the angels. And even the angels themselves worship Jesus. And he says, listen, you can't get better than Jesus. Is any person or any religion better than the one that the angels use in heaven? Is there any, any religion better than the one that's in heaven? No. And even the angels worship Jesus. Why would we go back to a law when we have the Son of God? And then he talks about how Jesus is not just better than everything in heaven, but better than everything on earth. He's better than Abraham. The one that, that the promise was originally given to, to about how we would be delivered. He's better than Moses, the one that the law came through. He's better than the Levitical priests who mediates that law. He is better than the sacrifice itself. Jesus is better in every possible way. And now he ends in these final three chapters and talk about what that means for us. See, Jesus is more than an answer to our problems. He is God. And because he is loving, he gives us a better life. He is a better life. And this is where it talks about uh, in verse 11, or chapter 11. He talks about this. Because of Jesus, we can do something that had never been able to happen you know, without God. And we're able to do it fully. And that is to live by faith. It says this right at the beginning. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. I love that. We're hoping for it. We know it's going to happen. It's not a wishful thinking. It's the confidence. It gives us assurance. Do you hear that solid word? Assurance about the things we cannot see. 
Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. You understand that life and faith is, is a powerful thing. The people that don't have faith have no understanding of anything past that they can see. This world makes no sense. It seems chaotic and it seems pointless. And in fact, if you read most nihilistic philosophers who really say this is all there is and there's nothing else, a lot of them kill themselves or go crazy or get very depressed because the world doesn't make sense without God. But because of Jesus, we don't just have wishful thinking like a lot of empty religions have. We have confidence. He rose from the dead and gave us many convincing proofs. We have confidence that what we hope for will actually happen because God keeps His promises. It gives us assurance about the things we can't see because we know that God, a God who is invisible but powerful, He is, he is trustworthy. And it's that faith that gives us the ability to live this life, not as those that are, are wanderers or are just by accident have no hope. But we can live with enormous amount of purpose because of faith. In fact, he goes on, he talks about a lot of people, and I won't put it on the screen because there's so many, but if you want to read chapter 11, here's just a summary of what he says. By faith we understand the entire universe was formed by God's command. And that what we now see did not come from anything that we can see. It was by faith that Abel bought a more acceptable sacrifice to God than Cain did. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave his home and go to another land that God would give to him as an inheritance. And it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, even though she was barren and too old. It was by faith Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Jacob's sons bowed and worshiped and leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph said when he would leave Egypt that they would bring his bones with them. It was by faith that Moses' parents led him uh, for three months when he was born. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. It was by faith Moses commanded the people to leave Israel and keep the Passover and sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. And he goes on and on and on. Do you get this? The life in God is a life of faith, and it matters. Each of those people did something. They held to something that they could not see. They had confidence that what they, couldn't, what they didn't see now was going to happen. And did it make a difference? Huh. Did it ever? We see this, this next passage. As all those people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And see, in our life, we see people live by faith. And sometimes we don't get the whole of the promise yet, do we? But it doesn't mean that God's not good for his promise. God's got something incredible. But it is the life of faith that we have the privilege of living. It is the faith that when God says to do this and it makes no sense to us, 
Love your enemies. Really? That makes absolutely no sense. Forgive. What if that person's a real jerk? I'm going to do it. It's faith that allows us to step beyond our life and beyond the, the smallness that we can see and into the grand and bigger picture. And we see from all of these people that they stepped out in faith and God changed the world through them. And think of the amazing things that they got to encounter. Can you imagine walking around Jericho? Mountain of a building, right? Huge walls crash down because you shout. Walking through Red Seas, right? Eating bread that falls from heaven, right? Not having your clothes wear out for 40 years. That's a pretty big miracle, right? Right? And then not having to worry if what you're wearing is in style, right? Because it's all the same for 40 years. That's a miracle. And they got to enjoy it. But you know, the life of faith wasn't just for them. It is for us, too. We can live by faith. And because we can live by faith, we have something else we can do. We can live with purpose. And isn't that a phenomenal thing? Isn't that good news? That our life isn't just as this accident of things that happen to us and we're not just people that respond to all the elements of things that happen. No, we can live with purpose in this life because God is a God of purpose. He's got reasons for what he does and he invites us to step into that purpose with him. So the good things and the hard things in life, they line up to what he is doing and he says you can be part of it. We can live with purpose and that is a life of faith. Here it says, and this is all chapter 12. If you read chapter 12, it's all about living with purpose. Chapter 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And then, of course, we memorized the rest of that passage, didn't we? That was pretty cool. You get this. Who is that great cloud of witnesses? It's everyone who's lived by faith before us. That's why chapter 11 is there. It's to remind us we're not alone. Look at those Christians that were there in Rome in the middle of the most horrible persecution. And reminded that, you know what? Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guess what they had? Yeah, I'm not going to say their names, but they were hard to say. They, they lived under persecution, didn't they? And it was at the height of the persecution that they saw God most clearly. That's when their lives became legend. Daniel, he, he lived in persecution. And yet, he lived a life of purpose and integrity. And God kept him, didn't he? And Moses, think about Moses. He should have been dead as an infant. And God uses him to deliver his people. Though he himself was a murderer, he got to be the lawgiver. There is purpose. There's a cloud of witnesses around us that show us that God is working in our lives. And the thing is that we're so close to our own stuff that all I can see is my circumstances. And when my circumstances are really good, all I can think is God must be great and life must be great. And I'm blinded to the circumstances of others or the purpose that God gave me in the good things. Or when life is hard, all I can see is darkness. And I wonder, where is God? Is there purpose in this? And I can't see anything else because all I can see is the darkness. But there's a cloud of witnesses there that give me perspective. They tell me that it's not just wishful thinking. They show me that God actually has been working through history time and time again, bringing about the good and the bad to do incredible. That my life is not just an accident. 
that he doesn't just allow things to happen just because. If it happens, there's a reason, and it's a good reason. Even if it's hard, even if it's great, I can live with purpose in the midst of it. So I look to those around me, those who came before me, and I look at their example, and I say, yeah, if God did that for them, he can, he's doing that in my life as well. It says in verse 2, he says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Isn't that powerful? How do we live this life of purpose and remind ourselves to, to, that we could trust these, these witnesses? We keep our eyes on Jesus. The champion. Don't you love that? He's not the loser. Jesus overcame the world. That is incredible news because the world really needs to be overcome. I think we can all agree, right? Turn on the news. You're like, this world, we're kind of a mess. He overcame it. He overcame it once and for all. It's his. He's the champion. There's no one that's going to take his title. And what does he do for our faith? Well, he initiates it. He gives us good reason to believe. But here's the better part. He perfects it. He brings everything together to make sense. He takes all of our brokenness and all of our strength and all the hard stuff and all the good stuff and everything and he turns it into something perfect. He takes all of the law of the Old Testament so it makes sense to us how it could actually save us. He takes all of that grace that he's been showing the world forever and he brings it into our lives to transform us. He initiates our faith. He perfects our faith. And how did he do this? What was the example Jesus set before us of how he could use that and to live with such purpose in his own life? He said, because of the joy awaiting him. Jesus was the superhero. Like, the superhero is God-man. Like, if he had a big, be a big old G on his, his, his outfit. He was God-man. He overcame it all. He has no weakness. There is no kryptonite to Jesus. But he was still a man. And there was a way that he was able to overcome the hardship in life. The cross. Remember the cross the night before? He was there and he was, he was praying so hard. He was sweating blood, literally. And he was crying out to God, if there's another way, just let it happen. But your will, not mine, be done. And he faced the cross because it says he endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy awaiting him. He didn't look at what was happening right here. He looked at what was happening there. What he could not see by faith. Jesus was able to overcome the world. And he did overcome it. And it is that same faith that allows us to live our lives with purpose too. And what happens with Jesus? Did it work for him? Oh yeah, he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. He overcame. And so he didn't live according to his circumstances. He lived according to the promise. Because God is good for his promise. And so there was purpose. There was purpose in his life. And that's what he lived for. And I love that. He, he did it for the joy awaiting him. Could we use some joy in life? Yeah. Even when things are good, recognize that they are not nearly as good as they're going to be. And that means the good things that I enjoy in my life right now, I can, I can, I can waste those good things by just saying, oh, I'm going to enjoy them just selfishly just for me. Or I can invest those good things. Because there's something better coming. So if I have a blessing, say I've got a blessing of I've got good health. Am I investing that good health? Am I serving other people, loving people? Am I taking advantage of it? Or am I wasting it? But how about this? 
What about the hard things? We can waste the difficulties in our life. We can look at the, our own cross and we be like, oh, and those things are difficult. But we recognize that's not the end. That there is something past it, something better that's coming because of it. Because of it. That's what we live for. That's where we keep our eyes. That's what Jesus did. We follow him. Now, there's different kinds of suffering. Some of it is just the difficult things in life that happen. Some of it is discipline. Discipline is this. It's not punishment. Realize that God will never punish you if you're a Christian. Why? Because he punished his son on our behalf. Okay? Punishment is this. You broke a crime. You did this much damage. Now we're going to do this much damage to you. That's retribution. That's pun- and, that, and our government is supposed to bring punishment. Right? That's the government's job. God also can punish sinners. No other group of people, not parents, not the church, no one else has been authorized to punish in the world. Only the government and only God. But he disciplines. Here's the difference in discipline. This is where you are. This is where you need to be. We're going to do whatever it takes to bring you up here. That's discipline. You see the restorative power of discipline? Now, no discipline is enjoyable when it's happening. Think about it. I've got to be disciplined to lose some weight. Okay? It's not just going to happen by me just thinking about running. Right? I actually have to put my shoes on and leave my door and go do it. And I tell you, every step of the way, I hate it the entire time. I'm like, this is the most miserable, awful, I hate it. But it's painful. But afterwards, there is, a, there is a peaceful harvest for right living for those who are trained in this way. The reason I jog is not because I love jogging. The reason I love jogging is because I love the fact that I have energy to play with my son later on. Or that I'll be there to take care of my wife in a later years. Or I'll have the energy to come and to, to minister to you guys or to enjoy my life. That's why I do it. This is where I am. This is where I want to be. So I'm going to do what it takes to get there. God does that for us in our character all the time, doesn't he? This is where you are. may not be horrible, but he knows where you can be. He's a good coach. He's a great dad. And he pulls us up and it's not fun while we're going through it. But he doesn't abandon us. And it's not out of retribution. It's not like God is like, you're such a bad person. I'm so disappointed in you. I'm going to bring this bad stuff in your life. No, it's like, I know you can do it. And he helps us endure these difficult things to bring out the best in us. So we live with purpose through the discipline. So when God allows difficult, hard things in our life, we invest it in him because we know he's trustworthy. We can trust him with the hard stuff, can't we? And he brings out our very best. But also there's... a. <laughs> There's discipline or there's difficult because people are sinful. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's not just discipline that God brings in our lives. Sometimes we suffer hardship because people are stinky. Okay? It says work at living at peace with everyone. You get that? Work. Work at it. It's not going to happen by natural. Just, you're not going to take a group of people, put them in a room, and they're just naturally all going to get along. Okay? It takes work. It takes effort. And there's a reason for that. We're not all on the same page. Our compasses, our moral and ethical compasses were broken uh, at Eden. And we all think we know what's best. And we all think the best is a different direction. And we all have our own opinions. And we all have our own... It's going to be hard to get along, to be going the same direction. But he's talking to Christians here, which is powerful. He says, work at this. Work at living with peace with everyone. Work at it. There's purpose. There's a reason to do it. In order to live in peace with everyone, it's going to mean that you're going to have to, 
You're going to have to negotiate. You're going to have to lay down a couple of your things that you think are important for the better sake of somebody else. And you're going to have to learn to put healthy boundaries up so people don't just walk all over you in their sinfulness. You have to work at peace. It takes effort. That's why in my job, I spend a lot of time and effort working at making peace between our brothers and sisters. You have somebody who's got a problem with somebody else, and either you come to me or hear about it, and I go to you, and then we talk about it. You've got to make peace together. That's why I do that. A lot of you have gotten, I've come to you and helped you, coached you through that. Why? Because conflict resolution is so important. There's a reason why it's, we live together in peace. It infects how we live for God and what God can do through us in our lives. Work at it. It says, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And that's a powerful thing for us. You want to see God in your life? A lot of times we go around our own lives and we're sinful and we live our own way and selfish. And we say, God, where are you? How are you not working in my life? And I look back five years ago and I was no different than I am today. I might even be worse than I was. Or maybe I'm the same. But I went, where God? Where are you in my life? Well, I haven't set myself aside. Holy doesn't mean perfect, by the way. Holy is not like, like perfection or sinless. Holy means set apart. It's like your toothbrush is holy. You don't let anybody just use it, right? It's for you. It's your toothbrush. It's holy. Are you set aside for God to be used for Him? If you're not, if you're setting yourself aside for yourself and then trying to share that toothbrush with God, He's like, no, no, <laughs> no. thank you. You want to see God in your life. You've got to be set aside for Him. And God is a peacemaker and He wants peace in His family. You want to see God, you will see you if you, uh, you set yourself aside for him. Live your life with purpose for him. And it says this, look after each other so that none of you fall, fails to receive the grace of God. I love that. We're at a church that cares for one another. I love that about us. We actually do. There's this amazing amount of love and connection. But we want to make sure that everybody receives the same grace that we have. We look out for one another. You're not in this alone. And watch out that the poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That's what happens. That's why the Bible so often talks about no gossip in church. You're not supposed to gossip. You're supposed to resolve conflicts. That's why it talks about several times Jesus said, if there's a problem, deal with it, and this is how you do it. You get together the two people that have the problem with each other, and you work it out. And if you can't work it out, you bring in a third party to help you work it out. And if that doesn't work, then you bring in a group. And if that isn't working, the pastor's in. And if that doesn't work, then get the whole church family involved. But you know what? And if it still can't be resolved, then the people that, that have this issue, they've got to go away. And it's not that God doesn't love. The reason is this. If we allow conflict, if we're not working at building peace and living together, what happens is a poisonous root of bitterness grows. And that's what happens, doesn't it? And people start being really angry and mean to each other. And then what happens? I like this person. I don't care about the conflict. I like this person, so I'm on their side. And all of a sudden, they come partisan, and somebody else likes the other person. And the church gets a rift in it. Now you've got a camp that likes this guy and a camp that likes this person. And then they start not liking each other for something they have. It's none of their own business. And do you know that one out of three churches in the U.S. have split? Has a church split in their background. One out of three. And that hurts our witness. That hurts our ability to reach this community and our world for Jesus. That keeps us from living for purpose, doesn't it? So we live for purpose. We do that. One of the most important things that we can do, keeping our eyes on Jesus, is we make sure that we live at peace with one another. We work at it and understand that it's going to be hard. Yeah, that person is difficult to get along with. 
That's why God tells us to work at getting along with them. But be purposeful in this. You don't just be nice to one another just because we want to be nice. We do it to keep the church healthy. We do it so that we can be working with God and be living for his purposes. And then it says this, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and with awe, for our God is devouring fire. We, we have this purpose in us that we live for that allows us to, to live a life of worship. The reason that we do all these things, the reason that we live this life with purpose is this. We are receiving a kingdom. Do you understand that this world is not our home? It tells in the Bible that we are aliens, we are foreigners, we are like people that are passing through, that this is not it. This is temporary. What we have is eternal. That your, your, first, you, your first identity is not your last name. You are a child of God. And you're not an American as much as you are a, a child of God's kingdom. And then you are an American. You get that? Like what we are going to last forever. We are living according to a culture and a place and a kingdom that is very real and is just is on the precipice, a precipice of being here. And we're receiving that. And therefore, we need to live a different way. Jesus didn't save us for the hereafter. He saved us now. And the, and the, the eternal life starts now. And that kingdom is unshakable. It's not, gonna, it's not like heaven's ever going to get corrupt or ever going to get lousy or ever get run down. It doesn't have a down economy ever. It lasts. It's perfect. And therefore, since we have that, we know that is home. That's the culture we want to live by. It says, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him. He's already given us everything. So the purpose that we get to live for in our worship is this. God is bringing that kingdom through us, through the, to this world. We can be thankful. If things are really great, let's be thankful that he's allowing those great things. Let's see how we can invest them in the kingdom and be grateful to him for what he's doing. If things are hard, let's be thankful that he's bringing his kingdom, and it's not going to be like this forever, but he's using it to do amazing things. We worship God with holy fear and awe. It's not like the fear of this world where you would worship Caesar because he would kill you if you didn't. Worship our God with a different kind of fear. An amazing kind of fear. You are just the fact that he is so amazing and good and powerful and loving. It says our God is devouring fire. And you think of like a, a, a piece of wood that you throw into the fireplace. And it seems so hard, so sturdy, right? So, so solid. And you throw that into the fireplace and all of a sudden it gives off properties it never had before. It gives off heat and light, Right? And it changes it. And it burns. And you know what? Something that looked like it would, could never be, be destroyed. I mean, you look at a piece of log and you, you can pound on it all you want. It's not going anywhere. But it can be devoured. And it's changed. And it was transformed into something useful and amazing. Our God is a devouring fire. We look at this world and we say, you know what? There are things in this world that look solid and hard and they can't be changed. We'll look at what's happening, the conflicts and wars and difficulties. And say, God, can you change us? Or people's hearts that we know seem so hard. God can transform anything into the light and the joy and the peace of Christ. Our God is devouring fire. He'll take it all. He'll take all of our lives and he'll transform us into something entirely new. God is amazing. We live for purpose because we know that he does it. But here's this. We can also, because of Jesus... We can live in community. What a much better life is this? Can you imagine life alone? 
God gives us the ability to live in community in a lot of ways. And if we go to chapter 13, and there's like a list of things. So he talks about this is what you do. And you look, and this looks like a bunch of, of stuff that he tells the church to do. But there's a purpose behind it, and there's a, there's a theme. And it says, listen, this is how we live together in that kind of community with purpose. And the first one is, uh, he, he says, uh, verse 13.1, it says, keep loving each other as brothers and sisters. That's what it says. This is how we live in community. We love one another. Keep on loving one another. You know what love is? Love is choosing another person's good above your own. That's the definition of love. So when I say I love one another, it's not just that I feel nice things about you. It means I'm going to seek your good above my own. Always. Which means that there are times that I'm going to sacrifice my weekend so I can take care of you if there's something you have need. Right? And I'm going to do it joyfully because I love you. The very act of me going and serving you and meeting your need above my own is love. That's what the church does for one another. We get to love one another. We have community. Isn't it great that we, have, we are surrounded by a group of people who care for us and love us in this very hard world? How about this one? It's not just loving one another. He adds we get to show hospitality. It says uh, in verse 2, it says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. When you invite somebody into your life and into your home, that's a more intimate kind of relationship. They get to see the deeper things. And what are they going to see when they come to your house? Christ. We live with purpose. They see that, that we're, in this culture, we like to have our space. This is not your space. And we recognize as Christians, it's God's space. And so we get to love other people, even strangers, which is especially unique in our own culture and to care for them and when invite them into our lives so that they can see the reality of Christ in us. We also get to love in this. We get to be loyal. It says this, Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Now, think about the context. Who are the people that are in prison? Christians who are being arrested and most likely going to be tortured and or murdered at the hand of Nero. And if you went to visit a fellow Christian, there's a good chance that you would wind up there as well. And so the temptation was very much that if people got locked away in a prison to disassociate with them, just like Peter did with Jesus, right? I don't know who they are. But God tells us this, no, be loyal. Stand with one another. Show the world that, that the world cannot break our, our bond. That we follow the victor. The champion initiates and perfects our faith. He overcame this world. I'm not afraid of if you throw me in jail because of this person. I love that person. I'm not going to leave them there to figure out that they got abandoned. As Christians, we don't abandon one another. So if we have a brother or sister who falls into sin and then just wrecks their life, do we turn our eyes and we just walk away from them? Say, so, oh, I don't know that person, disassociate? No. That's when it's most important that we stand with them so we can help bring them back and lift them up. When somebody's suffering, we don't walk away because it's uncomfortable. We get into their lives and we carry for them and we give them hugs and, we, and we, we make sure that they know that they're loved. We're loyal. When somebody, a brother or sister, is taking all kinds of heat in the media because they took a stand for the faith, it's going to be easy for us to, to separate ourselves and be like, whoa, you know, don't want that on me. No, we stand with them because we're loyal. When brothers and sisters are over in the Middle East and they're, and they're facing death themselves, we don't disassociate ourselves and say, well, that's their problem over there. 
No, we stand with them. They're our brothers and sisters in faith. We have purpose. We live in community. We get to be loyal. He also tells us this, that we get to honor marriage and family. He says, honor, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. It's one of the reasons why for the past 2,000 years, family and marriage has been such a big deal in churches. Because families are part of the church family. And we want healthy, good families because it represents God well. It's according to our very design. And so as a church, we have a wonderful obligation and the joyful responsibility of supporting healthy, good marriages, good families. And that means that that takes work because every marriage, every family has times where it's hard. Everyone does. But this needs to be the place where they find support, that we find encouragement, that we find others that say, listen, you can do this. (laughs) Let's help you fix what's wrong. Marriage and family is to be honored in the community and it helps us grow a stronger community. He also tells us that we, as uh, disciples, we have to resist materialism. It says, don't love money. That's what it says. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. In the church family and community, the life of purpose, we have to resist the call to materialism. And it doesn't mean just the rich. It means anybody. Because the, the ability to overcome materialism isn't by having more stuff. It, get this. It says we do that by being satisfied with what we have. In the church, we get to help one another learn contentment. And as we do that, we remind ourselves of the promise. The reason that we can be content with what we have is we have a God who gives us all we need. It says, I will never fail you. I'll never abandon you, says the Lord. And we have a great cloud of witnesses, don't we, to help each other? But if I ever love my things more than I love you, I've missed the mark. And so we must resist that and be content with what God has given us and share. And this is a fun one. We get to be disciples. We get to be disciples. How wonderful. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Notice it doesn't say just follow their teaching. Follow their example. That's why it's so important in the Bible it talks about how do we select elders and deacons. You're supposed to find those people that you respect, that you look in their life, and it's not that they know the Word of God so well, it's that they live the Word of God in their life. You look at how they, they treat their families and they say, this is the kind of way that they should be treating the God's family. This is a person that I can follow. But then, when you have those people, you need to follow them. It's not great to have a pastor up there that you think, that is a really godly man. And then never change yourself. Look at the lives of, of your pastors, of your deacons, and look at what they're doing in their lives and their things you find admirable, their faith. Then take those steps and mimic them. Be disciples. Follow them as they follow Jesus. And let others follow you, by the way. Isn't that great? And says this too, be faithful. Or stay faithful. And stay faithful is this, to good doctrine. It says, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. There's a bazillion religions out there, ideas, or even cults that try to take Christianity and try to add things to it or take things away. No, no. Stay true to good doctrine. There are a lot of things that sound good to our ears at the time, but our strength comes from God. 
And God's given us the gospel. So let's stay with it. So as a church, we help guard each other, right? That's why if you give me a book to read, that's like the number one book on my to-read list. And I will read it right away because if it's great doctrine, then God's doing something in your life, I want to know about it. But if it's bad doctrine and it just sounds clever and interesting, I want to know about it so I can talk to you about it so we can get back on track. Right? That's a way that we help one another. We need to help each other, make sure that we stay firm in the faith. Also this, this was a, a fun one too, be generous. It says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are sacrifices that please God. Now, there's two kinds of, of ways of being generous. One is with our actions, with our life. Don't forget to do good. So there is somebody in your neighborhood, your life, your work, your office. Do things for them that are kind, that show nice, not just because, hey, it makes me feel good. No, because there's purpose in it. That God could be changing their life through that. We're showing love through that. So we take our life and our energy and our skills and our talents and we invest them, and that's called ministry. We're generous with that ministry. We don't hold back and wait till the church is on its knees begging us to volunteer. No, be generous. Serve one another. Love one another. But also it's with our stuff. And that has nothing to do with how rich or poor we think we are. God gives us everything we need. And if you have something, what an amazing thing. Remember that, that woman that only had like two half pennies and she gave them to, you know, Jesus points to her and says she gave more than all the rest who had all these bags of money. Why? It's not the amount, it's the heart. Are we at the point, and this year really working, are we at the point where all my life belongs to God and, and God loves his children? And if it's mine, it's yours, right? Because really it's God's. Be generous with what we have. Prove to one another that your things are not more important to you than your brothers and sisters in faith. This was an embarrassing one to bring up, but it's in there, so I'm going to bring it up. You obey your pastors. Do it. It says this, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Clearly, if I'm telling you to murder somebody, don't do what I say. But if it's in line with the word of God, this is why. It says the work is to watch over your souls. And I'll tell you that me and all the rest of the pastors, we take that very seriously. We love you. And they are accountable to God. And I take that seriously. There is a day where God's going to ask me to give an account for each one of you. And so it says... Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. And I'm so grateful I'm in a church that does that. And I said, that certainly will not be to your benefit. And I will see, there was a time when my wife and I were younger and we went to a church and uh, it was outside of Bailey and there was a pastor that was there and, um, that uh, was just reaming his congregation out. And I, it was like, you know, when you're at the grocery store and you have the red-faced kid that's stomping the mom, like totally, you know, let's see. And this guy was out of line as far as a pastor. I can't even imagine. But you could see the frustration and the anger, and it was not good for them. It wasn't good for the pastor, and it certainly wasn't good for the witness. Right? Uh, it, was, it was hard. So make sure when you select pastors, right, the people that you can follow, it's not just that they have all the qualifications, that they're pretty and they're rich and they seem to know the Bible well. Okay? Look at their lives. Test them. Make sure these are people that you can follow. And once you've done that, follow them. Okay? Obey them. And, of course, you can always talk. And, and uh, if you have questions or challenge, yeah, because none of them are perfect, but do that. And the last thing he tells us to do is this. Pray. Pray. 
says, pray for us. Who are they praying for? I don't know. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is because he didn't write it because he didn't want to put them at risk. But they knew who he was. Pray. This is a person that obviously God could use to write a Bible, a book of the Bible. It's a pretty awesome person. Pray for them. If this church can pray for that guy in the midst of their pain and their suffering, we can always pray. I don't wait till my life gets good till I can pray for somebody else. I can bless you no matter what my life looks like. It says, pray for us. For our conscience is clear, we want to live honorably in everything we do. So we get to pray for one another. Lift each other up weekly. It's one of the reasons that we're building a culture of prayer, even in our worship services. We need to be a people of prayer to live in community. And so we bring this whole book to a close. It says, all through this this whole thing, it says, because of Jesus, who is amazing, we can live by faith. I love that. Because of Jesus, we can live with purpose. Because of Jesus, we can live in community. And this, I hope you see that this is not the kind of life that the rest of the world has. Well, Christ gives us a much better life. Isn't it great that we have those things? That's what we want to live by. So as we bring the service to a close, and I bring the worship team up, and and we actually bring this whole series to a close,